Hello, neighbor. Welcome back to Mojave Memories. Stories and essays written by Annalise Cooper. Music and editing done by Cattell Byers. We're glad you joined us here in North Joshua Tree on Copper Mountain Mesa. But before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsor. This podcast was created using the Anchor app. Anchor is a free podcast platform that allows anyone to record their own podcast free of charge. So even if you're not an audio engineer, this free and easy to use app makes it simple. The Anchor app even distributes your podcast for you for free. So go to anchor.fm and download the app today to get started for free. Hi, it's Annalise, and uh, I thought I'd read you another story from my book, Memory Dam. This one is entitled Laundry Carts and Desert Highways. Hitching a ride with our neighbor Sam, Eric and I rode in the very back of her big truck. After six miles of badly corrugated dirt road, we reached the school bus stop. While we waited for the bus to arrive, I ran across the road to my rural mailbox. There was a small envelope with neat, clipped handwriting, and I immediately knew it was a letter from Arlene in South Africa. A self-proclaimed spiritual guide and teacher, she was furious with me because of a small loan I had been unable to pay back. The other envelope was large and covered with round, warm handwriting, and I knew this letter was from my beloved cousin Vilmi, who lived in Amsterdam. The school bus arrived and collected all the children, and Sam and I began the drive to town. As we covered the miles to Joshua Tree, I read Arlene's letter first. Still very angry with me, she lectured me about wasting my time and talents, just as I had in all the other lifetimes she remembered knowing me in. She was tired of my poverty bag, disappointed with my life, and she washed her hands of me. I half smiled, but her words pierced my tender artist's heart, and I felt bad about myself for a moment. Slowly, I put Arlene's letter back aside and opened my cousin Vilmi's envelope. She praised me with supportive, encouraging words, telling me to persevere and no matter how tough my situation was, to follow my dream and have faith in my talents as a writer. She told me that it didn't matter that my only published book had faded into oblivion, that I must keep working, keep trying, keep believing in myself. I smiled and read the warm flow of words again, allowing my cousin's unconditional love and encouragement to wash all the pain out of my heart. Sam's big truck slowed to a halt in front of the Circle K in Joshua Tree, and I scrambled out of the back. I thanked her profusely as I did not own a car. I hitched a ride to work with her three times a week, and I was very grateful for her kindness. I bought a big cup of coffee flavored with lots of creamers and then walked the rest of the way to my job. I stepped onto Mr. Duncan's porch, knocked very loudly and yelled at the top of my lungs, Mr. Duncan! No reply. I yelled and knocked again. Come on, Mr. Duncan, please let me in. It's terribly cold out here. 
Finally, Mr. Duncan's elderly voice could be heard swearing loudly, so I knew he was awake and would let me into his apartment eventually. I made myself as comfortable as possible on his freezing cold, windy porch and gratefully sipped my hot coffee, hoping my bladder could hold on. After at least half an hour, Mr. Duncan's door opened and there he stood in his filthy diaper, his hair so matted I knew it would take me a long time to comb it out. He glowered at me. What do you want? He snarled. I worked as an in-home healthcare provider for San Bernardino County, and this fine specimen of a human was one of my clients. This was the first time in four years I had been well enough to be employed at all. It certainly wasn't the finest job I'd ever had, but it was a start, and the expectations were not too high. Hi, Mr. Duncan, I chirped. May I please come in? Without a word, Mr. Duncan turned and staggered back to his bedroom as I stepped into the living room area of his apartment. Sheets covered in human waste lay on the floor, abuzz with flies. The smell in the apartment was indescribable. Mr. Duncan had obviously been to the store because I saw an empty half-gallon container of Old Crow bourbon whiskey by the trash and an almost full one by his bed. Quickly and quietly, I cleaned his apartment, then gathered up his laundry and packed it all into a little cart. Mr. Duncan's laundry was even stinkier than usual, but I maneuvered the cart outside and started walking to the laundromat about a mile down the road. As Mr. Duncan's laundry cart was much too short for my long-legged frame, I had to walk bent over to the side to reach the handle, and my back was soon complaining bitterly. It was a freezing desert morning, and as I stomped along Highway 62, I was painfully aware of the large hole in the seat of my sweatpants. I passed a green van parked along the highway. The driver looked familiar. He leaned out the window and said, Hey, Annalise, how have you been? You cruising the streets now? I wasn't sure if he meant to ask if I was homeless, a prostitute, or both. So I mumbled something and kept walking. Soon I reached the traffic lights, pushed the pedestrian button and waited for the little man to turn green so I could cross the highway. I watched as thousands of pounds of metal and chrome thundered past me, motorhomes, boats, shiny trucks, hauling jet skis and lots of brightly colored cars, many people on their way to the Colorado River to play with their toys. Finally, they all had to shudder and screech to a halt to wait for little old me to cross the road. The occupants of all those vehicles sat impatiently watching me, scorn and disapproval on their faces as I stepped into the crossing. I wondered what they saw when they looked at me. A middle-aged, windswept, desert-hardened woman wearing tattered clothes and worn-out boots? A homeless bum symbolizing the very dregs of society? Did they think I was strung out or drunk as I staggered along trying to control that stinking laundry cart? I giggled to myself, remembering that I had two letters from overseas in my pocket, remembering that I had been born and raised in Africa and traveled halfway around the world experiencing unforgettable adventures that I used to drive a big new truck and haul a huge sport fishing boat, that I was a published author, a devoted mother, committed mate, loyal friend, a hard worker with a big dream. 
I felt so loved and valued by wonderful people in my life, and I realized that it had taken hardship, poverty, and broken dreams to snap me out of the kind of mentality that I was witnessing in these closed, impatient faces waiting for me to cross the road. I reached the other side and turned towards the laundromat, hoping the owner would not be there because he always threw me and Mr. Duncan's stinky laundry out. I hurried to the back of the laundromat. I put the revolting piles into two machines and inserted the change. Satisfied that all was well, I went outside. Maybe Coyote Man would be there. He lived in a cave high in the hills above Joshua Tree. I enjoyed sitting in the sun with him. He had such interesting views on life. Or if he wasn't there, I would just go sit alone in the sun and watch the world go by. When you were reading about crossing the street with your shopping cart, my laundry cart. It brought back memories of living in Hollywood. I lived near the Grauman's Chinese Theater and all that. And at the time, Hollywood was really run down. And there were so many weirdos. <laughs> and I can remember, I was very poor when I lived in Los Angeles. And I, I can remember crossing the street and thinking, I wonder if I look as weird and crazy as all these other people. It just brought back that memory. Yeah. No, I hear you. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any writings about the uh, old man that lives up in the caves in Joshua Tree? No, I never actually wrote anything about him. Maybe we could do it. Maybe you could do an essay on him or something. That would be an interesting idea, yeah. Yeah. Now, um, just for the audience, Mm -hmm. uh, we've had a lot of people that have asked questions about the elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. It's about childhood abuse, so... Young listeners, yeah. this may not be appropriate for them. Yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit heavy. And by the way, Bodie's right outside the door oh. at your feet. So when you get, oh. your tells feet. little dog Bodie likes to help me. He knows it's difficult for me to read some of this stuff, and he sits by my feet and comforts me. <laughs> so the elephant in the room. I received an email from my cousin Vilmi in Amsterdam, who had just finished listening to episode two of the podcast and was looking forward to episode three, which she assumed would address the big elephant in the room. So I guess I have to address it and it's hard and it hurts and it makes me ugly cry. Yes, I was severely sexually abused from infancy all through my childhood in Kenya groomed and seduced, drugged and raped, pregnancy and abortion, you name it. In the British colonial days, Kenya's British and European populations were known for their wife-swapping, debauched, drunken parties and their fondness for having sex with children. My parents were very much in the party scene and I went everywhere with them. As you may recall from episode two, when I read the Kenya Cowgirl chapter from my book Memory Dam, I did not remember the sexual abuse until I was 35 years old. Not until I had written two books about the fluff and nonsense side of my life growing up in Kenya and had been going to therapy, plagued by vague, terrifying nightmares. I told Melanie, my therapist, about two uncomfortable recollections from my childhood. In one, I was about 15 and my dad stuck his tongue in my mouth after I won a game of badminton. In the other, I was about 13, lying in the bath with my mother, sucking on her right breast, 
while my dad peeped through the crack in the bathroom door. I felt quite sick with disgust talking about it, and Melanie gently validated my outraged feelings. When I got home after that session is when my memory dam began to crumble, and I started to remember hundreds of incidents of being sexually abused. My parents, their friends, strangers, men, women, and the memories just kept coming. They still surface. Sometimes it's a completely new recollection. Other times it's an old memory I've been excavating for decades, which keeps turning up new details. And the sexual abuse never stopped. As an adult, I was assaulted in the bathroom of a London nightclub, gang raped by sons of family friends, fondled by fathers of my best friends. The memories keep coming stored away in a drawer until I was emotionally ready to deal with my reality. Traumatic amnesia, they call it, which terrifies me. What if I forgot everything for 35 years and then I remembered everything, which took me almost another 35 years, and now I'm going into dementia and I'm getting ready to forget everything again? Absolute torture. And I am not alone. Statistically, one in three females and one in five males are sexually assaulted at some point in their lifetime. I actually believe those numbers to be much higher. I suppose this is my platform, a most uncomfortable one, which nobody wants to hear about. It makes people squirm. At the same time, so many people have confided in me about their own experiences and thanked me for talking about mine. So this is my day-to-day -day reality. My brain never shuts off, constantly worrying, anticipating, preparing for the next assault. I have to override every fearful thought with a positive alternative. My memories switch from terrifying to wonderful and back again as I struggle to keep my balance between falling into the abyss of depraved images and impressions or rising above all that horror into the realization that my story is extraordinary and beautiful and miraculous. And I sincerely believe that living out here in the Mojave Desert, high up on Copper Mountain Mesa, saved my sanity and my life. So there you have it. I know it's not a pretty story. Um, it's my story. It's made me who I am. And I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of what I've overcome. And um, yeah, wow, sorry to be so depressing, but there it is. Cattell and I send you lots of sand and sunshine and stay well, neighbors.